I believe the opposite of mastery is mediocrity, and mediocrity is nothing short of a failure of love and a misrepresentation of our father. You're listening to the Redefining Wealth Podcast with Patrice Washington. In today's episode, I sit down with serial entrepreneur and national best-selling author, Jordan Rayner. He says it's okay to have multiple passions, but it's time to be master of one. Hey there, this is Patrice Washington from patricewashington.com, where we chase purpose, not money. Welcome back to another episode of Redefining Wealth. This is the fifth installment in the Results Not Resolution series. Last week, we heard from Princeton Parker for that faith pillar. Oh my gosh, can't protect from process. If you have not heard that episode, please do yourself a favor and make some time to listen to that episode. The DMs, the emails, the messages about that episode, I mean, are just overwhelming. Princeton Parker really did his thing and he set it up perfectly as we go into the next uh, pillar here, which is the work pillar where Jordan Rayner is going to talk to us today about becoming master of one, becoming masterful in that thing that God has given us to do. And typically I would tell you about the Purpose Chasers community and how to get an accountability partner over there. And if that's something you're interested in, please head to IamAPurposeChaser.com. But today my heart is heavy, coming fresh off the news that uh, Kobe Bryant passed Uh, in a helicopter crash, along with his beautiful daughter and seven other souls this past weekend. And how appropriate they were talking about just being masterful and how that really honors God when we show up in excellence. And Kobe Bryant was definitely that. Growing up in Los Angeles, meeting him when I was in high school at the Beverly Center, we'll never forget that. He was just like a hometown hero type of thing, you know? So I didn't sleep that well last night, honestly. Um, Really just thinking about his wife who lost not an icon, but someone who lost her probably best friend, the father of her children, um, someone she's built a life with for 20 years. And so my prayers and my heart go out to Vanessa Bryant and the three daughters they have remaining and just the entire Bryant family and all of the families that were impacted. If you are new to Redefining Wealth, you will learn that in this community, we believe that wealth is so much more than money and material possessions. We truly believe in the original definition of wealth, which is the condition of well-being. And so every week we talk about one of our pillars. We have six pillars of wealth. And if you don't know anything about them, then I suggest you go to patricewashington.com, click on start here, and you will get a free audio training that walks you through what each of the pillars are and how to assess exactly where you are and maybe what you want to put some attention to this year. So let me give you Jordan's full bio. Jordan Rayner is a serial entrepreneur and national best-selling author who helps Christians do their most exceptional work for the glory of God and the good of others. His book, Called to Create, became an instant bestseller when it was released in November 2017. And his most recent book, Master of One, which we'll talk about today, just came out. And let me assure you, it is a game changer. 
In addition to his writing, Jordan serves as the executive chairman of Threshold 360, a venture-backed tech startup, and he's twice been selected as a Google Fellow and served in the White House under President George W. Bush. Without further ado, here's Jordan Rayner. Welcome to the Redefining Wealth podcast, Jordan. Thank you so much for having me, Patrice. I appreciate it. Man, I already know this is going to be good. I have to give backstory as I always do because I am always so in awe of how strategic God is. Just in awe. So in August or September, someone shared a Bible study with me in the Bible app. And they were like, I think you would love this. You need to check it out. This sounds so much like you. I'm like, okay, cool. And I did the discerning your calling. Yeah. And then I typed in your name in the yeah. Bible app and did the ministry of excellence. Yeah. Which is what like, the wow. new book's all about. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, oh, wow. I really like this guy. This is incredible. Okay. Move on with my life. Right. I get invited. We both got invited to Dave Ramsey's influencer event. Yeah. Great. Event. And I'm flipping through when they give us the list of who's going to be there. And I'm like, I know this name. <laughs> It's like a month later. I'm like, I know this name. It's jo- oh my gosh, the man from the Bible study. Oh this my is, gosh, this is the guy. So I go, oh my gosh, I have to make sure that I meet him. I know there's going to be quite a few people there, but I have to make sure that I meet him. I'm in the airport, headed to Nashville, and a woman who follows me on Instagram. And if it's you, please DM me because <laughs> I want to send you a copy of Jordan's book. You helped in this whole process. Yeah. I'm on the way to the airport, get a DM in October out of the blue. And this woman says, you really should look up Jordan Rayner. <laughs> I think that you would really like him. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's confirmation bells. And then I go speak to someone there during the opening reception. Yeah. And I turn and look and she's talking to you. It was Bola. Yeah. Shout out to Bola. How about and- that world? How about that? And then we sit next to each other in one of our breakouts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Right next to each other for an hour and a half. I love it. I love it. So this is not by happenstance. Not at all. Not at all. Not by happenstance. When he put us together. He certainly did. Um, And you were so gracious to say yes to coming on the show. And I'm so excited to just be a part of you getting master of one out into the world. Yeah. What a blessing. So let's start here. Take us back to the moment when you were sitting with your mentor and realized that you had been a jack of all trades, but a master (laughs) of none. Yeah. So first part of my career, I was kind of the quintessential jack of all trades, master of none, right? So uh, throughout college and in the first few years of my career, I did a bunch of different stuff. I worked in the White House. I was a piano player. I was an entrepreneur. I had started and sold a couple of my own companies. And here's the deal, right? Like, I actually don't have a problem being a jack of all trades. I think being a jack or jill of all trades is kind of the inevitable byproduct of discerning your calling. But I have a huge problem being a master of none. And this kind of all started in that conversation you referenced with my mentor. So I was having lunch with my mentor, Rick. Uh, It's about five years into my career, had some success. But I, I wasn't I wasn't exceptional or world-class at anything. I was good at a lot of different things, but not world-class at any of them. 
And he kind of just, you know, looked at me across the table as I was trying to figure out what I was going to do next with my career. And he's like, what's the thing you want to really sink your teeth into? And, and basically, he was calling me a jack of all trades and a master. <laughs> and, so, and so over time, I've come to realize I have a very big problem being a master of none because I believe that the essence of the Christian life is to glorify God and love our neighbors as ourselves. And we do that through our work, through the ministry of excellence. We do it when we do our work so masterfully well that we serve as really effective imitators or image bearers of mm-hmm. God's character of excellence. Yeah, you know, I, I believe the opposite of mastery is mediocrity. And mediocrity is nothing short of a failure of love and a misrepresentation of our father. So, you know, I, I think a good alternative is embrace being a Jack or Joe of all trades, but become a master of one. Find and focus on and master uh, the work God has created you to do in this season of your life. And that's what that's what my next book is all about. Yeah. Okay. So I know someone's listening, right? And they're thinking, but how the heck do I do that? And what I love about how you broke down Master of One is that it's like in three sections, which was really easy to digest for me. And it was the purpose of mastery, the path to mastery, and then the promise. And from my experience, when people are reaching out, always talking about, well, you say chase purpose, not money, but how do I even find my purpose? How do I, you know, pursue my purpose? What I find though, even in conversation, when I'm trying to take people through what you would call the purpose of mastery and the path, all they want to do is skip to the promise. Yeah, yeah, right, right. right. <laughs> and there's a process, right? Without the without the work, yeah. Without the work. Yeah. So so how do you break down the process of getting to the promise of mastery? Sure. Yeah. So the book started out with a question, right, which was, you know, very broad, but how do how do we do our most exceptional work for the glory of God and the good of others? How do we find and focus on and master the work we were created to do? And so we did tons of research for this, right? So I had a small team doing basically scouring all academic literature, business literature. And then I personally went out and sat down with 25 or so Christ followers who are truly world-class at their crafts. Tony mm-hmm. Dungy, NFL Hall of Fame coach, yeah. Cynthia Marshall, the first black female CEO of the NBA, people from sports, but also people uh, like Mr. Rogers' team. I sat down with them and talked about Fred Rogers and Scott Harrison and Charity Water. And across all of that research and all those interviews, uh, there was a pretty pretty clear themes that led to a pretty predictable path to master finding, focusing on and mastering your one thing. Step one is experimentation, right? Uh, step two on the path to mastery is choosing something to commit to, right? Choosing your one thing. Uh, step three is elimination, right? So once you know what you're saying yes to, saying no to basically everything else. Uh, and then finally, mastery, right, is the last step, which is really not a step. It's kind of a lifelong discipline of constantly mm-hmm. raising the bar and getting better at your craft. And so in the book, I kind of outlined those four steps along the path uh, to mastery. And each of them are valuable, right? I think a lot yeah. of people... A lot of people, you know, hear the title and they can be intimidated by the book. It's like master of one, but I've experimented so widely in my career. That's a good thing. It's a really good thing. And in the book, I celebrate range. I celebrate this idea that, you know, we should take the time to experiment widely in our careers and try lots of different things. That's the only way you're going to be able to find the work you could be most gifted at, right? Which is really the sweet spot. It's less about your passions. It's more about your gifts and where you could be of the utmost uh, service to others. So that's the general path. So I want to get into that because 
Yeah. First of all, you go through the lies. Yeah, yeah. Right. The lies that we tell ourselves or the lies that we've been peddled yeah. by culture, by well-meaning parents, <laughs> sure, by sure. by mentors. Sometimes I want to go through the lies because yeah. I think that that's what prevents us from allowing ourselves to get into the messiness of exploration and yeah. experimentation. Right. So yeah. that we can find that thing. So one of the lies that we've all heard is you can be anything you want to be. Yeah. What's yeah. wrong with that? Oh, we tell man. our kids that. What's wrong with that, Jordan? Oh, man. And I, I, I still find myself slipping up and telling my kids this, too. I got to find new vernacular for this. So, uh, yeah, happy to attack each of the three lies. And let me back up for a second, right? So in, in the book, I kind of outline these three lies about career and calling that I think keep us from doing really focused, really masterful work. I think most of us, if we're honest, are making a millimeter of progress in a million different directions with our lives and our careers, right? We're overwhelmed, overcommitted, and overstressed unnecessarily, right? Mm-hmm. We're not focused, laser focused on the work that we were created to do. And I think it's because we bought these three lies that have really been forced upon us, right? Number one, you could be anything you want to be. Number two, you could do everything you want to do. And number three, your happiness is the primary purpose of work. So you mentioned you could be anything you want to be. I heard this all the time, yeah. all the time growing up. And it's just simply not true. I'm five foot six. I'm never going to play basketball. (laughs) It's not going to happen. As much as I wanted to be a professional basketball player in middle school, that's not in the cards for me. I can't be anything I want to be. I can try to be anything I want to be. But if I care about excellence in my work, as a means of serving others, I can't do it. I have to recognize that I can't do anything I want to do if I want to do everything well. And I, I and I want excellence in all things for the glory of God and the good of others, which is what I really care about. So that's the first lie. Second lie, you can do everything you want to do. I think most of us know this isn't true, right? I think we we recognize the laws of time and trade-offs. But I think the third lie is probably the biggest one, right? I, yes. I grew up, I grew up, my parents. Very well-intentioned, right? But my parents and every adult in my life told me, you know what, Jordan, when it comes to your career, follow your passions. Do whatever makes you happy, right? And it turns out this is like probably the worst advice we could give <laughs> to young people. Yes. Uh, and for, for two reasons, right? Like number one, uh, it just doesn't work, right? Mm-hmm. So millennials have had more opportunity to, quote, do whatever makes us happy vocationally. And yet Gallup tells us that we are less happy at work than any generation before us, right? And in the book, I cite a bunch of academic studies that show Mm -hmm. that the number one predictor of whether or not somebody will describe their work as a calling as opposed to a job or a career is not whether or not they were passionate about the work before they started it. It was the number of years they had spent pursuing mastery of the craft, right? Passion is a side effect of mastery. We get to love what we do by getting really, really good at it. And that's kind of the, that's kind of the heart of the whole book. I, I believe that so much. When I read through that, it was a yeah. big aha because I've told people before, you know, I am passionate about singing in the shower. Right. You will never buy a ticket on Zebrite exactly. <laughs> or Ticketmaster to come hear me sing. Right. And so I can be passionate all day, but that's not what I was purposed for. Like that is not where I'm supposed to put my intention and my focus and invest my money in perfecting my craft. Like that's not where it goes. And I've learned for myself 
that the more I committed, so when you get to like choosing what that thing is going to be after you've experimented a bit, the more I committed to that path, I would get what I call God winks. Yeah. And the God winks, the little nods in the right direction, the little affirmations, the things that people started to say, oh, that was good. Can you come do that here? Yes. Can yes. I get you like, would you mind doing that over here? Can you create something for us? The, the better I became at doing those things consistently, the more my passion grew in that area. Yes. Yes. It was not the other way around. There's so much wisdom in that. That's exactly what I'm talking about, right? Like we, when we are attuned to how we are being of the utmost service to others, when we're paying attention to like what other people are saying we're good at and continue to pour ourselves into those things, we also find the deepest, most sustainable satisfaction of vocation for ourselves. It's by focusing on the happiness of others first this shouldn't come as a surprise to Christians, right? Uh, that, that that ultimately leads to the deepest satisfaction in our own careers personally, right? Focus on serving others first. So I know that what people struggle with quite a bit though is, and I've even said it, you know, here, validation is for parking, right? Like <laughs> I don't have to have the validation of others to try, but I don't think they understand that that's for the experiment yeah, yeah. Like that's for the exploration phase. Yeah. But if you have been trying to become a rapper for 28 years. Right. And you have not been able to sustain your family. Right. Rapping. <laughs> right. And no one is asking you to open up for them at concerts or asking you to do it. Like at some point, when do you accept and you have these two terms i think it was pivot or persevere like when do you accept that i need to change perhaps course and do something else that i'm actually being called to yeah yeah it's so tough right and it's such a personal decision for everybody but that's a good example right the person who's been trying to rap for 28 years or i talk to people all the time who you know have been trying to get published trying to get a book deal for you know 15, 17 years, I'm like, maybe you're just not a good writer, right? And so, you know, I'm, I'm glad that you're passionate about writing. That's that's awesome. But clearly the market's telling you that you're not serving readers well. Now, you can go self-publish. I'm a big fan of self-publishing, you know, within, mm-hmm. within this particular example. Uh, but the market's going to tell you pretty quickly whether or not you're serving them well. And that's really what you're after, right? If you care about doing work, um, you know, work that's going to make you happy, then you're going to care about doing work that makes others happy first. And uh, that, I mean, that's the really critical component. You need to be looking for validation from people that you're meeting their needs, right? So, and again, to your point, you don't need that validation to get started. You don't need that validation for experimentation, but as you experiment, you want to find the place where your passions and giftings are coming together in a really powerful way to converge in this really, you know, kind of best opportunity to serve others through your work. Could it be sometimes too that if you would continue to, I don't know, I think in my case, experiment with different variations that you you kind of get to the thing that people really yeah. will pay for? Because I know you used an example of your mother-in-law and yeah. what was it? She like played the piano and would teach kids, you know, music yeah. and school and all these things. And then, and then there came an opportunity where all of that came together. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah. So my mother-in-law is a great example of this. So early in her career, uh, she's an incredibly talented musician, right? So she played organ at our church. She taught piano lessons at our house. She taught the children's choir at our church. And basically all of those things sort of converged into this great opportunity. Her one thing that she's actually been focused on for 33 something years mm-hmm. now. Uh, she's the director of children's music uh, at, at a big church here in Tampa where I live. And she's world-class at what she does, right? Fred Rogers is another good example. I talk about Mr. Rogers a lot in the book, right? He had mm-hmm. tons of different interests uh, through a lot of his experimentation, right? He experimented with music composition, which he was really talented at. Uh, he had a passion for seminary, for early childhood education, then for television, and kind of in Mr. Rogers' neighborhood in the TV show, saw this singular path to combining all of these varied interests in a single di- focused direction to serve children and their parents really, really well. Right. I think that's what we're looking for, right? That opportunity that can best converge all of those gifts and interests in a focused singular path uh, so that we can get really world class at whatever that thing is. Do people fight with you about that, though? Because I know in my coaching programs, for example, people go, but I'm multi-passionate and I love these 17, you know, different things. Yeah. What I try to convey is that there's a way somehow that those things may connect. So it's not about being so specific, like even the way that you describe, you know, yep. you're one thing or yep. It's not about being so specific. It's about you can also kind of be broad. Yeah, yeah. So can you break down the specifics? Yeah, sure. I'll I'll break down the difference in a broad and specific one thing in a second. But real quick, I'll just say this. I think the most exceptional people I've ever met in my career, be they writers or athletes or entrepreneurs, all share this common thread of intense focus, right? They don't have multiple things. They have all of their eggs in one basket. And I think there is so much wisdom in that. And it's why I'm all in on this strategy. I mean, listen, Master of One is a very personal book for me. So as I'll, I'll, as I'll explain in a second, my one thing is broad, right? I believe my one thing is entrepreneurship, right? I'm very good at spotting gaps in markets, building products that meet those needs, and then you know putting systems in place to ensure those products arrive uh, and thrive over time. And when I started writing the book, I was applying that one thing in two directions, right? Uh, one, I was running a venture-backed tech startup called Threshold 360 as its CEO, uh, and I was writing books and bringing content products to market like Master of One. Uh, and so I could justify that as one thing. Those are basically the same skill set it takes to build a tech startup and write a book you're, you're, it's, it's, it's the entrepreneur gene, right? But as I wrote the book, I became convicted that I, I had to get even more focused, even more focused on just content products. And so I left kind of the entrepreneur dream job. I stepped down as CEO about nine months ago, hired a replacement for myself, who frankly is doing a much better job than me. Uh, I'm chairman of the board now. I got a board meeting this afternoon. I spend a few hours on that venture a week, but now I'm spending 95% of my time just focus on bringing content products to market, like this book, like my podcast, right? And so uh, yeah, I think most people listening to this podcast, their one thing is probably really broad. Uh, some people's one thing is really specific. So my mother-in-law, Sheila, who I just talked about a couple mm-hmm. minutes ago, 
Her one thing is a job title. She's been the director of children's music at Idlewild Baptist Church for 30 something years, right? That's very specific. My one thing is broad. It's entrepreneurship. I sat down in an interview for the book. I sat down with C.S. Lewis's stepson, Douglas Gresham, who's become a good friend. And uh, yeah, I was asking Doug about this. I was like, listen, your stepfather, he called him Jack. You know, Jack's, <laughs> Jack appeared to be a master of many things, right? He was an excellent writer of fiction. He was an excellent writer of nonfiction. He was this great university professor. And oh, by the way, he was like a great radio broadcaster. You know, he seems to contradict this master of one theme. And Doug corrected me. He's like, absolutely not. Jack was very intentional that his one thing was teaching. He was a masterful teacher in everything he did, and he applied that skill set in a few different contexts, in writing fiction, nonfiction, et cetera, but he was very methodical about that being the one thing and the one skill that he really developed. So I think thinking about your one thing as something that could be quite broad like that, like teaching entrepreneurship, is helpful to a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. But but then like you you still may need to yeah. eliminate. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yeah even if it's broad, you still can't do everything. I still can't run three ventures at the same time. And Not an excellence. Right, correct. Not an excellence. One of the things that I really share in my programs too is that, yes, you can do a million things. You, you can, you can try. Right. I mean, right. and burnout in the process for one, but you can try. But what happens is I find that you can do a million things one time and then be upset by the results, which won't be stellar, more than likely. Or you can choose to do fewer things a million times and actually master them. And you talk a lot just about mastery in general. What does it take to actually master the one thing that you end up settling on? We're not settling, but selecting. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So, and by the way, I'll caveat this by saying, In the book, I'm encouraging you to find your one thing for this season of your life, right? There are lots of people throughout time. This is not an irreversible decision. You know, there there are lots of famous examples of people who mastered more than one thing in their lifetimes. I mean, Michelangelo mastered different art forms, but he did it about a decade at a time, right? He spent years getting great at painting before he moved on to another, another thing, right? So in the book, through all of our research, we basically identified three keys to mastering any one thing. These three keys kept coming up over and over again. Number one, the first key is apprenticeships, right? So either in a direct mentor-protege relationship or in an indirect one, and I explain the difference between those in the book. Number two is purposeful practice. So I'm sure a lot of your listeners have heard about uh, Anders Ericsson's 10,000-hour rule, right? Mm -hmm. It takes... 10,000 hours of practice to get world-class at anything. But importantly, it's not just 10,000 hours of practice. It's 10,000 hours of purposeful Purposeful practice, practice, right? Which we go into detail about that. And the third key to mastery is just discipline over time. Just sticking with something long enough to be able to get world-class at it. And I quote Angela Duckworth, the author of Grit, quite a bit in that section of the book as she's kind of the world's leading expert on this. But yeah, so apprenticeships, purposeful practice and discipline over time. I truly believe that purpose evolves as well. Yeah. You know, like that in this season, this is what I'm called to do. Yes. Yes. And when God calls me to pivot, I will, I will pivot. Right. And I will take all of the experience that I learned in this season and it will definitely serve and support in that next season. Yes. None of it is wasted. 
none of it is wasted. Even the 30 jobs that, you know, many of us did before 30, like none of it is wasted, right? Something that really stood out to me in the book was about the fact that we tend to romanticize our career path, just like we do finding the right partner. Like there's only one thing in the world that I can ever do. And so I think that really ties in. Like there's not one thing that you, you, some, for some people, maybe it is one thing their whole life, but for the majority of us, it's probably going to evolve. And that's okay. I think, I think we treat this topic of calling kind of like we we treat marriage in movies, right? <laughs> that there is this like, there's there's only one person on the face of the earth that we could potentially be a good fit for, right? And we all know logically, like that's absurd, right? There are likely dozens of people who would make great lifetime partners for me. Now I've chosen one out of those many, right? My wife, Kara, that I'm committed to. Uh, but the same thing is true in our careers. There's no Mr. Right for our careers. There is a Mr. Best, right? And we should do the work of experimentation to find the thing that we could be most gifted at that we'd be worth committing to. But you, you can't let this idea of a Mr. Right career uh, you know, paralyze you in fear of making a wrong decision. You know, I think for anyone who's out there who thinks they found their one thing, but is kind of afraid to name it, I would encourage you, and, and afraid to commit to it, I would encourage you, number one, there is no right decision or wrong decision, right? Uh, Number two, there are very few irreversible decisions. And number three, if you care about doing your most excellent work, there is an imperative to make a decision, right? Uh, We cannot do our most excellent work if we are scattered and unfocused in our careers. You just heard someone's feelings. (laughs) That's all right. You, You cannot do your most excellent work if you're scattered. No. It just is what it is. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> find me scientific uh, literature to support the counter argument. It's very, very hard to refute this. Yeah. What about people who feel like they are just the best multitaskers in the world? We've learned that multitasking oh, is not man. real. Just, well, there you go. So there, <laughs> they, you, you just answer the question. Yeah, that's not a real thing. But that's what we've been told is okay. Like I'm yeah. thinking of the person. It, it, it has been relatively easy for me to narrow it down. Yeah, Um, good for you. Personally, well, I don't know how good it was. For years, I felt like, well, I'm just not that talented. So, you know, and you interviewed someone. I'm trying to recall who it was. You interviewed, oh, the young man from Hamilton. Oh, yeah, Lin-Manuel Miranda. (sighs) Yes, yes. And he talked about going to school with so many extremely gifted and talented people. Yeah, Yeah. And the fact that he was not. Yeah as smart. And he said, man, I better find my thing. <laughs> I better find my thing. I better focus. Yeah. I love that story. Yeah. So he went to school with these like genius kids and he's like, well, I'm not smarter than these kids. I'm not funnier. So I guess I'll be more focused. And so yeah, he stumbled upon music theater, musical theater, like early on, on in his schooling. And he's like, okay, this is the thing. And he just plowed full steam ahead into that thing. And now he's, I mean, he's one of the greatest artists of our time, right? Yeah. Uh, because he, he got laser focused on his one thing. He got laser focused. What does it take to have laser focus? We hear it, but I don't know how often it's explained in practical ways. Yeah. So I, I think it requires a, a couple of things, right? So in the macro sense of our careers, I think we stay focused when we first you know, articulate what we're saying yes to. 
you can't focus until you you know definitively what you're saying yes to. Uh, and then surround yourself with people who are going to keep you focused on that thing, right? On the work that you feel called to do. Uh, so that's kind of in the macro sense of our careers. In the micro sense of a work day or a work mm-hmm. week, you know, very practically nitty gritty. I don't know how you can be focused without ruthlessly eliminating distractions and notifications from your life. I have not had push notifications on my phone or computer in a decade. And I, <laughs> it, it boggles my mind that there are people outside of sales executives who do. Yeah, I, I cannot. Just, you just can't do it. Yeah, it's just impossible to get deep work done. I'm a huge fan of deep work by Cal Newport and you just can't do it. So that's how we focus. But like, we just got to get in the habit of saying no a lot, right? I think, and I write about this in the book, I think Jesus was an incredible example of this. I think it's remarkable how many times in the gospels Jesus says no to good things, really good things in order to say yes and give his best yes uh, to his his main purpose, uh, to his call on this earth. And so I think there's a lot of wisdom in there for us. That's one of the things I've really been working on as of late. I thought I had mastered it. (laughs) I thought because I'm pretty good with boundaries and I assumed that I had mastered it. But then I realized through a series of things that I was straddling the fence. So, you know, even in my speaking career, I was still maybe taking gigs that I had basically grown past and I really didn't need, but I was comfortable and they liked me and I liked them and I just keep going. And it was like, but that is not the best and highest use of your time in this season. So you can't keep saying yes to what's good and not putting the intention or the attention and focus on what's best for you right now. So that you are showing up in excellence and moving forward the thing that God has called you to do right now. Because that was two years ago. Yeah. That was your best two years ago. That's exactly (laughs) right. And that was the right thing to be focused on two years ago. But those things change over time, right? So even in my role right now at Jordan Raynard Company, you know, my my role's evolving, right? So I'm Mm -hmm. doing different things. So right now we're building out a team, right? So I'm hiring quite a few full-time people over the next year. And so right now I'm doing a lot of hiring, but at some scale, I won't be doing that work anymore, right? We'll have a chief people officer to do that, to do that work, right? But right now that's the best thing for me to be doing in order to move kind of this one vision forward uh, that I'm pursuing within my venture. It's funny that you brought that point up because something that stood out to me in the book is you talked about you and your team, when you're hiring people, if you guys can't say emphatically, this is their nine or 10, it's no go. Yeah. Yeah. I love that rule. Yeah. So I've hired a, a lot of people throughout my career as an entrepreneur. And yeah, we, we kind of have this you know pretty informal rule, but like if, yeah, if we can't say somebody's a nine or a 10, we just pass. Even when it's painful, even when there's a role this really got to get filled because eights and sevens never work out. And they were quite, they're, they're too costly. They require way too much management time. And my advice in the book is uh, apply the same rule to your one thing. So if you think mm-hmm. you found the thing you want to commit to and get masterful at vocationally, can you really say it's a nine or a 10? Because you could be spending years, maybe even a decade plus pursuing mastery of this thing. You should be pretty confident. They're like you're excited about that. Now, now that, that that doesn't mean that you're going to have this cosmic sense of passion and satisfaction for it today. That's going to grow over time. But can you look down the road and say, "Yeah, this feels like me. This this feels like me being me and being the truest 
to who God created me to be? And if yes, if it's a nine or a 10, go for it, commit to it. And if you find five years down the road that it wasn't, pivot to something else and, and take all that experience with you. Right, right. That's hard. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. That's As hard. I personally experienced. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when you're just uncertain, you're just unsure, you're in that. How do you decipher if it's truly a nine or 10? And how do you decipher if you were really hearing from God versus hearing the nag of, I need someone right now, right? Or I need to choose something because my parents are on my back or my spouse is like, this better be it, right? And you have all of these outside forces coming in. One tool that you talk about is using prayer. Yeah. 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 Using using prayer, talking to people. I, I will say this, you know, there is... um there's a general call for us Christians, right? Jesus was pretty clear on what our mandate is. Love God by, by glorifying him, revealing his character of excellence to the world, and love others. I, I don't think God's waiting around for us to get his approval on our specific plans for our career. And frankly, like, I don't think uh, God needs Patrice or Jordan to do the specific work that we are doing. If you and I decided to do something else tomorrow and he really wanted this work done, he would find somebody else. You and I are not that special, right? And so there's a lot of freedom there, a lot of freedom to say, okay, Lord, you have given me this general call to reveal your glory, reveal your character of excellence to the world and serve others well. Just I think the logical implication there is, okay, I'm going to go out in the world and I'm just going to figure out what I'm good at and how I can serve others really well. I'm just going to do it. Like, I think we really overcomplicate this sometimes. I don't think it has to be that complicated. Get out there, try things, experiment with things and whatever's working, continue to pour more water on those seeds. Don't, don't, don't pour more water on these seeds that are falling on rocky soil, right? Plant, you know, pour water on the, on the seeds that are the good soil that are reaping as the, as the parable says, 30, 60, a hundred fold crop, uh, what the other seeds are reaping. I just, I love that you said that because I experienced so many people who are waiting for the skies to open and they're waiting for like, this supernatural light to shine on that one job or on that one business idea or on that one thing. And I just, I'm like, I don't know that the heavens are going to part for you. I think that you just need chances are they won't. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I'm like, I just think you need to start. So when people would say, well, how did you become a speaker who, you know, led you down the path of speaking? I was like, I had, I I just created opportunities to speak. I volunteered to speak. I just stood up and would do things that involve speaking. And as it went on over time, when people would say, oh, that was pretty good. That was my God wink. And I'm like, oh, I should go to Toastmasters and and get better so I can (laughs) remove my uhs and ums. You know, and then it was like, I should invest at one point in a speaking coach. And I so... But it was just trying. There was none of the other stuff there. I like to talk and I believed that I was supposed to help people restore hope. Yeah. I didn't know what the heck that looked like. I love that, yeah. Or where to go to do it or how to make it happen. I just knew that whenever I was authentic about my story, people seemed to be more hopeful. And I'm like, I just want to keep doing that. Yeah. Yeah. So That's beautiful. Here we are. Right. Here we so are. Right. A podcast or a book 
or a social media post or speaking on the stage, when people come and say, oh my gosh, you just made me feel this or because of that, I believe I can do this or he did it for you, he can do it for me. I'm like, job done. I had no idea that it would turn into this platform. I, and I couldn't, you can't be passionate about something that you're not even aware of. <laughs> right. right. That's exactly right. But your passion's grown as you've gotten better at the craft. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, at, you know, 10 years ago, oh, I'm passionate about podcasting. Right, right. Never. Right. I didn't even know what a podcast was five years ago. <laughs> right, right, right. Exactly. Yeah. You know, so I just love this message. And for me, I truly am in a season where I just keep saying, no more straddling the fence. Yeah. In every area. And and something that I loved about when you highlighted Tony Dungy yeah. was that it was about his spirit of excellence, not just at work, but as yeah. a father and as a husband and just a community member, just a yeah. citizen, and how we can get more laser focused when we remove all of the fluff. Yes. And that's why I thought that your message resonated so well with redefining wealth. Because there are very specific things in each of these six pillars that I want to focus on in this yeah. season, which means that my no game is getting very strong. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. It's hard. It's hard to pursue excellence in six pillars unless you're really good at saying no. You have to, because you have to get have to, to what matters most. And there was a young lady in the book, I think it was the CEO of Simplified. Yeah, Emily Lay. Emily Lay. She talked about. Knowing that she wanted to be an excellent mother, which meant not being a perfect cook and yeah, yeah. housekeeper. And it's like, yeah, we're she talked about pizza. pizza on the floor. <laughs> yeah. She's like, that's totally okay. I love that. That's such a great I love that because if my focus and my one thing is not to have the cleanest house in America, right. that's then okay. that's okay. Right. My focus is that my children know that I'm present. Right. I love that. I, I love that. I love that. I thought it was just such a great visual. As I'm picturing this, I'm like, yeah, dishes may be in the sink, but boy, do those kids know they're loved. Right. And as it pertains to work, yeah, I didn't go do all these, the things that would appear to be good to other people. Like when I left the Steve Harvey show, people were like, oh my gosh, what are you doing? What do you mean? Yeah, You're just yeah, leaving. Sure. They're like, they must've put you off. I'm like, I have the email to prove. <laughs> I said no, because the podcast was calling for my undivided attention. I love that so much. So much with and it, you, you would not be impacting nearly as many lives as you are without making that decision without, without saying yes to the thing you're doing and say no to a very good thing, a very good thing, Mm -hmm. but not the best thing for you in this season of your career. Not the best. And this is something else I learned through that process, Jordan. Yeah. People would say, oh, but there's millions of listeners on the radio. And the distinction that I felt the Holy Spirit gave me is those people, they were not looking for you. They stumbled upon you because you were attached to someone else's one thing, right? right? right. A part of their one thing. So you came for jokes and then you have this random girl giving finance tips and you're like, oh, she's cool. Right. So you stumbled upon me. The podcast, what I hear are from people who were searching. Yeah. And there's just a different connection when someone's prayer is that God, you answer this thing. And this person appears with what seems to be the answer for you in that season. There's a much different connection than a drive-by on 
on a radio station for four minutes, you know, and surrendering and not trying to control, because I think that's why we don't let go of all the things and accept or embrace the idea of one thing is that we're like, well, no, God doesn't know. I got to keep my eggs scattered, like just in case this doesn't work out. But that looks like true faith and surrendering when you're like, I'm willing to let go what's good in order to focus what I on what I feel like God is calling me. That's great. That'll be great. Yeah, there's a, one of my favorite quotes in the book is from Andrew Carnegie, I mean, one of the wealthiest men in American history. And he was talking to a group of college students and he's like, you know, people are going to tell you in your careers, you know, put your eggs in a bunch of different baskets to mitigate your risk. He's like, that's the worst strategy in the world. I'm the richest man in America telling you put all of your eggs in one basket and watch that basket. It's very hard to drop a basket when it's got all your attention. Uh, so yeah. much wisdom there. I love that. Yeah. Because if you're holding three baskets, one, you're going to have to put on your head. That's exactly right. <laughs> yes. I love it. I, I just really, again, resonate with this message. I'm so excited about Master of One. Find and focus on the work you were created to do. Such good stuff, Um, such wonderful stuff. Before I let you go, we do rapid wisdom questions. Yeah. And so I have four things to ask and just tell us the first thing that comes to mind. All right. All right. Sounds good. How do you define success? Uh, Being excellent at all of the things that I'm committed to. Love it. How do you define wealth in three words or less? Ooh. Abundance. Oh, good. In one word. Yeah. Love it. What's one book that has redefined how you see wealth? Wealth specifically, I would say The Giving Principle by Randy Alcorn. I, don't, I haven't read The Giving Principle. Yeah, it's a great one. It's a little tiny book. Uh, it's it's pretty old, but it's a great book. Love it. Okay. Yeah. Or say, Bla- maybe, maybe it's called The Treasure Principle. Treasure Principle or Giving Principle. We'll look it up. We'll We'll look it it. up. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Fill in the blank. My name is, and for me, the truth about wealth is. My name is Jordan Rayner. And for me, the truth about wealth is I did not generate it. Uh, Even even as an entrepreneur, you know, I, I think entrepreneurs are seen as the wealth generators in our society. But as a Christian, I believe that what First Chronicles says, wealth and honor come from God alone. Uh, and I'm just a steward of it. Awesome. I love it. Jordan, thank you so much for being here. Man, Master One, big blessing. Thank you. All right. I know you got some nuggets. I know you got nuggets from this interview and I want you to share them with me. I know one of my big takeaways is that basically when you're not focusing on mastery, you are settling for mediocrity. And yikes, (laughs) I don't think we always think about it in those terms, but Jordan brings up so many great points and ways to just really reframe how we look at our life's work. And I know for those of you who are struggling with being multi-passionate, let me tell you, this is not going to bash you at all. All right. It is truly going to inspire you just to become world class. So whether you're at a turning point in your career or you're already doing work that you love, the book Master of One will inspire you. It's just about what are you going to become world class at? What will you sink your teeth into? Right. And guess what? 
The publisher's mistake is your come up because they accidentally sent me two copies of Master of One. And I've decided that I'm going to bless someone with one of those copies. So if you are hearing this interview and stuff that Jordan said is just like really resonating with you and you want a chance to win, head to my YouTube channel and leave a comment on this episode. You can find me on YouTube. It's not hard. Just put in Patrice Washington or put in Redefining Wealth Podcast. You'll see Jordan's episode is one of the latest downloads. Type in your big aha, your big takeaway. Do it before February 5th because on February 5th, I'm going to select a winner at random and we'll reach out to you and get your mailing address and I'll send it to you along with maybe another goodie or two. All right. So Patrice Washington on YouTube. I believe I'm youtube.com forward slash seek wisdom PCW. But honestly, just put my name in. Leave your aha and enter for your chance to win a copy of Master of One. And if you don't win or if you don't want to participate, guess what? The link to get the book is in the show notes. So just go straight to Amazon and grab your copy. Really, really great read. Again, my heart goes out uh, to the families who were impacted by the helicopter crash this past weekend, just praying their strength, man, praying for peace. Every time I think about it, I just, I don't have the words, but send, send prayers, send love and let Kobe be an example. Yes, he had many passions, many talents, but he definitely goes down in basketball history as a master of one. So until next time, guys, go live your life's purpose find fulfillment and earn more without ever chasing money. Talk to you later.